This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Prairie Mountain Zen Center. This is class five of our six-week winter 2023 class on the Heart Sutra. And last week in class four, we examined Buddha's law of the 12 links of dependent origination. This week, we will conclude that study and push on to the concluding parts of the sutra. Specifically, it's claimed that there is nothing to attain. In essence, the Buddha's teaching of the 12 links arises on the night of his awakening, where he analyzes human existence in reverse asking, what is the cause of birth and death that arises and leads to such profound suffering? Having spent years pursuing philosophical study and ascetic practices, the prince of the Shakya clan is at last inspired by despair and the insight of memory to try a new spiritual technique, sitting down in Zazen being upright under the Bodhi tree, settling deeply into stillness, into silence, deeply practicing Prajna Paramita, and thus clearly saw that all five aggregates are empty. Intuition is essential in spiritual practice and experiential exploration and objective observation as well. The prince of the Shakyas would never have left home if all was well in human life. The privilege and material wealth of the young Buddha reminds us that no man is an island, that no one escapes the fundamental conditions of this mortal human life. Like young Telemachus in the Odyssey, sensing the time has come to sail forth Young Gotama also intuited he must leave his home and undertake an exploratory journey. Though the details of Buddha's spiritual journey are a bit hazy across 2,500 years, we can understand that his nagging feeling for the problems in human life drove him to leave and undertake a heroic effort, the risks inherent in the spiritual journey. Upon leaving the protected confines of his father's palace, the future Buddha discovers what are called the four sights. A person afflicted by profound old age, the bloom of youth and health and well-being are gone. A person afflicted by profound sickness, a bloated, degraded corpse, that had once flourished as a vital, vibrant human being. Finally, he sees a monk shining and awake in the center of his spiritual practice in this human life. In our own lives, many of us have had similar encounters and maybe even an encounter with a spiritual person whose practice radiates clearly and calmly. Buddha sees at last, through the practice of Zazen, 
who are deeply practicing this prajna paramita, how these foundational elements of human life cause dukkha, the profound dukkha, the dissatisfaction that arises through birth and death. He sees there is a cause to human suffering, and he sees there is an end to it. He sees, at last, how we are continually cycling through both the six realms that we talked about last time, and the experience of the three poisons, greed or desire for what is pleasant, after which we reach and grasp, aversion towards what is unpleasant, which we flee, and ignorance towards that which we simply do not see or perceive or understand. Deeply practicing this prajna paramita, Buddha awakens to the underlying reality that there is no separate individual being. Rather, there is a boundless, boundaryless, profoundly wondrous web of interbeing. Stunned into wonder, Buddha deepens his practice using the grounded equanimity of shamatha the insight of Vipassana to follow, investigate, and understand the causes that lead human beings through these cycles of suffering. The underlying truth and allure of Buddhist insight and practice is compassion and the wisdom that sees clearly and profoundly wants to help beings cross over from the shore of samsara to the other shore of liberation and understanding. The Heart Sutra starts, as we know, by describing Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva of compassion, in the seat of Buddha, deeply practicing this Prajnaparamita. In the deep wisdom developed by practicing stopping, by sitting down, being upright, in silence and stillness, we see back to how human life arises through the opening links of dependent origination to contact. And from contact, feeling arises. And because of feeling, craving, the desires and aversions and ignorance of mind-body arising. And it is here, at the moment of feeling, our emotional responses to sensations in body, heart, mind, that human beings fall into attachment to a powerful identification with what we call self-identity, pervasive sense that that is me, an abiding separate self. Again, Joseph Goldstein describes this process of feeling as it leads to grasping and attachment. Here's how he describes it. because a feeling arises craving. Craving means desiring, hankering after objects. What is it that we desire? We desire pleasant sights and sounds, pleasant tastes and smells, pleasant touch sensations and thoughts, or we desire to get rid of unpleasant objects. Desire arises because of feelings. We start hankering after or wishing to avoid these six different objects in the world. Feeling conditions desire. Desire conditions grasping. 
because we have a desire for the objects of the six senses, mind included, we grasp, we latch onto, we become attached. Grasping is conditioned by desire because of grasping. Again, we get involved in karmic formations, repeating the kind of volitions which in our past life produced the rebirth consciousness of this life. As Shoaku Okamura Roshi explained in his essay on Heart Sutra from his book, Living by Vow, human beings cycle through the six realms in this very life, manifesting different types of embodiment while being subjected to the, free, the three fires, desire, aversion, and ignorance. The Buddha way, in essence, is acting upon a foundational intuition towards the intrinsic suffering in this life and seeing through our practice of being upright in Zazen the causes of this suffering, how it all starts with our fundamental ignorance. Blindness to truth underlies the pervasive tendency to cycle around again and again. Awakening to pervasive ignorance drives philosophical inquiry across most human cultures. Awakening to the limits of analytic reasoning can also lead to spiritual practice, including asceticism as a way, a method to end human suffering. However, it is only with the awakening of Shakyamuni's memory of sitting upright that a new methodology enters the world. And from this, we have the Buddha figure everywhere from this memory he had after his efforts in philosophical study, practicing asceticism, remembering sitting upright as a young boy, watching his father, and remembering the clarity in body, heart, mind. And it's like the light bulb went off. I should try this. I should try this sitting and see what I can see and learn. The Heart Sutra starts to conclude when it declares, in another shocking announcement, there is no suffering, no cause, no cessation, no path, no knowledge, and no attainment. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on prajnaparamita. Thus, the mind is without hindrance. Without hindrance, there is no fear. Far beyond all inverted views, one realizes nirvana. Again, Okamura Roshi, this time on page 40 in uh, Realizing Genjo Koan, helps us understand more fully. He writes, Mahayana Buddhist teachings, such as the Heart Sutra, emphasize a different expression of reality. From the perspective of prajna, if we think there are fixed places or conditions called samsara, nirvana, delusion, and enlightenment, our practice becomes merely an attempt to escape from what we think is desirable, going towards what we think is desirable. In this situation, we cannot be released from samsara and delusion, because in trying to escape them, we actually create them. In other words, we create, again, the cycle of grasping 
and suffering. So again, this is partly why Dogen Zenji is helping us understand practice enlightenment are not separate. Okamura concludes by saying the negative expression of reality, the negative assertions it contained in the Heart Sutra is a guideline for liberation from even the desire to escape from samsara and enter nirvana. It tells us they are exactly the same. So we are waking up right here in the midst of samsara. No mud, no lotus. Not only does the sutra negate or negatively assert the Buddha way, it also asserts how our grasping onto self-identity leads to fear, a form of profound suffering that frequently underlies or causes many other forms of suffering. Fear of unattainment in this life is one of them, and fear of a separate, isolated self underlies much of a broader, more pervasive human fear. We struggle because of our sense of this limited, isolated self, fearing our mortality and the sufferings that pervade it. And from this fear, we create all sorts of elaborate systems of belief and practice and ritual. Yet the Buddha way and the Mahayana Buddhist way of the Bodhisattva declare, contrary to most spiritual paths, that there is nothing to attain. And with nothing to attain, we pass beyond our fears and enter nirvana. Nothing to attain means we are suffused with this intrinsic Buddha nature, that it is never apart from one, right where one is, as Ehe Dogen declares in Fukansa Zengi, his first fascicle, composed upon his post-awakening return to Japan from pilgrimage in China. Yet even young Dogen struggled with profound doubt regarding the relationship between the purported intrinsic Buddha nature and the need for rigorous spiritual practice. And therefore, Fukan Zazengi begins with a series of questions, precisely like the ones he asked prior to pilgrimage. The way is basically perfect and all-pervading. How could it be contingent upon practice and realization? The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need is there for concentrated effort? Indeed, the whole body is far beyond the world's, the world's dust. Who could believe in a means to brush it clean? It is never apart from one, right where one is. What is the use of going off here and there to practice? Yet Dogen, like young Gotama, young Telemachus, leaves home ventures forth on a profound, transformative, exploratory journey. It is often said in psychology that fear underlies anger if we only look carefully and deeply enough. Certainly, young Dogen was frustrated, and his deep studies led him to challenge older monks and teachers. But rather than keeping him cloistered in the Tendai establishment after leaving the monastery at Mount Hiei, Abbot Goin of the neighboring Onjoji monastery suggested that Ehe visit the Proto-Rinzai temple 
founded by Esai, now led by Myozin, Esai's disciple, Keninji Monastery. Although this exposes Dogen to a kind of proto-Zen practice, he could not find the awakening he sought while practicing there, and his urgency was rising. So he persuades Myozin they should undertake the dangerous sea voyage on pilgrimage to China. Far beyond all inverted views, one realizes nirvana. The irony in this most compressed version of the Heart of Great Wisdom Sutra centers on unteachability. Like the Buddha himself, upon awakening, great doubt arises regarding the profound subtlety of the insights, but most importantly, the experiential nature of practice awakening. The Buddhist historian and Theravadan monk, Robert Thurman, points out in his introduction to the Vimalkirti Sutra, all negative statements in the teaching of the middle way do not negate relative things per se, but only their ultimate existence. In other words, Mahayana teachings, like Heart Sutra in particular, use negative assertions precisely because of our human tendency to cling to notions of enduring entities. Thurman continues, as we make our way through the relative world, our minds are accustomed to constructing pairs of opposites, long and short, light and dark. Thus, we hypothesize an opposite to every finite, dependent, temporal, relative entity that we can know or imagine, and we call it infinity, independence, eternity, absolute. That is usually some etymologically negative term, infinite, equaling not finite. And this is quite harmless until we begin to make unconscious assumption that since most names seem to refer to entities, there must also, and we begin to think of an independent being, if we then attach those false notions of ultimate being to whatever we are disposed to value, we fall short of full awareness of thoroughgoing relativity. It's a long passage from page two in uh, the intro to uh, Vimalkirti Sutra by Robert Thurman. The negative assertions in the Heart Sutra are strategies to stop the cycles of samsara and delusion. To dislodge our attachment to habituated consciousness, the deep-seated perception that we and all beings are separate and distinct. Awakening is profound because this habituated way of thinking and seeing pervades our understanding at almost every level, biological, cultural, political, geographical, spiritual. Far beyond all inverted views, one realizes nirvana. The Heart Sutra establishes the transformative nature of enlightenment. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on prajna paramita, and thus the mind is without hindrance. Without hindrance, there is no fear. Far beyond all inverted views, one realizes nirvana. All Buddhas of past, present, and future rely on prajna, 
paramita, and thereby attain unsurpassed, complete, perfect enlightenment. So thorough, so penetrating is this awakening. The practitioner awakens beyond fear, our long-held perception of our separate self, our isolation, engenders that fear. It is our enduring vulnerability to this perception and the suffering we endure as consequence that the Buddha way and the Heart Sutra seek to overcome. The radical centers on its effort to shock us out of habituated views. It shocks consciousness. Just as Okamura Roshi states in Living by Vow, how could the author of this sutra negate the Buddha's teachings and still call himself a student of Buddha? And this was the shock and question that arose for Shohaku as a young college student. Admitting his confusion and incomprehension was a vitally important step. He shows us that it's perfectly acceptable. And in fact, is an important strategy or step in spiritual practice. The transformation of consciousness we seek is so radical and thoroughgoing that inevitably we will encounter words and practices we do not comprehend. Chanting the sutras is an excellent step. Even when we chant in languages we do not understand, gradually we absorb the rhythms, the teachings, just as our robe grows damp as we walk in the fog. For a long time, we may not notice, but slowly we absorb and become thoroughly saturated with the teachings and awakening. Because of the difficult nature of spiritual practice and transformation, Zen is embodied practice, thoroughly engaging body, heart, mind. Moment by moment, the practice embodies the teachings. The teachings embody the practice. Even when we do not understand or perceive it that way, by practicing with and serving one another in the Sangha, in the Zendo, we embody the practice, embody the teachings, allowing them and enabling them to penetrate our consciousness our being, our behavior, our heart, the way we feel towards one another and the way we conduct ourselves towards and with all beings, with nothing to attain. Our bodhisattva enters and dwells in emptiness, the boundlessness, boundarylessness of no separation, aware simultaneously of the pervasive suffering in living beings on account of perception, of separation. Dwelling in this awareness, a bodhisattva sees from emptiness and acts from compassion, moment by moment, in this world of samsara nirvana. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dharma Talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.